tonight I want to invite you to turn in your Bible to the book of 2 Timothy. We're going to be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 3, specifically verses 16 and 17. We're going to be talking tonight about the theme, You Can Trust the Bible. Last Wednesday night in our study, we emphasized the theme, The Evidence is In, God Exists, and we tried to provide evidence showing why we can believe in an Almighty God, why there is a God, and why this Almighty God created the world, the universe that we live in, and, and the reasons why we can put our faith and trust in the one of whom Moses said in Psalm at chapter 90, who is from everlasting to everlasting. Tonight I want us to think for a moment or two about the theme, you can trust the Bible. There may be any number of you here tonight that have been ridiculed because you believe in the Bible, maybe at school, maybe on the job, maybe by a friend, a family member. It may be the case that somebody has talked down to you because you affirm your belief in this book that we call the Bible. There are some today that would tell us that the Bible is outdated, archaic, old-fashioned, that it's nothing more than a piece of literary genius, or some would say that it's nothing more than lore and fiction. Well, what about that? Is that the case? Can we trust the Bible? Is there evidence for us to put our faith in this book that we call the Bible. The first thing I want us to do in looking at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, is to talk about the origin of Scripture. When we talk about the origin of Scripture, we're really emphasizing the one who authored the Bible. And the one who authored the Bible is Almighty God. This book that you and I hold in our hands, this book that we call Scripture, the Bible, God's Word, it is a holy and divine book, and it comes to us from God. And we're going to look at some verses along those lines, and we're going to, we're going to be talking about some of the evidence for believing the Bible is the Word of God. In other words, why can we put our faith and trust in this book that we call the Bible? In looking at verse 16, here's what Paul said. All Scripture, some translations say every Scripture, is given by inspiration of God. The word inspiration simply means God breathed. And that's, the, that's really the idea that we're trying to convey, that this book is a divine product. It's not something that was created by mankind. Mankind did not think it up. Mankind is not responsible for its content but rather this book is a result of Almighty God. Many years ago, there was an individual who was very well respected in the realm of theology. His name was Benjamin B. Warfield. He had this to say about inspiration. He said, inspiration is therefore usually defined as a supernatural influence exerted on the sacred writers by the Spirit of God, by virtue of which their writings are given divine trustworthiness. 
Let me call your attention in light of this definition provided by Benjamin Warfield and also in light of what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, when he emphasized that all Scripture, every Scripture, is inspired of God. Turn over to 2 Peter chapter 1. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, Peter said, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture, and that phrase, prophecy of Scripture, denotes the entire body of Scripture. He's not talking about just a portion of, just a part of Scripture, but all of Scripture, every Scripture. He said, No prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for, for prophecy never came by the will of man. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved or borne along by the Holy Spirit. And the idea is, what Peter is really saying here is, that, that mankind is not responsible for this book that you and I call the Bible. It's not, it's not a product that has been devised by man, but rather it is of divine origin. All right, here's the question. What is the evidence for believing in the Bible? Why should we believe it? Well, let me give you some reasons why we can put our faith and trust in this book that we call the Bible. Number one, the claims made in Scripture certainly underscore its divine origin. Did you know that in the Old Testament, the phrase, Thus saith the Lord, or an equivalent, occurs some 3,808 times. Now you just think about that. Over and over again in the Old Testament, you have the statement made, Thus says the Lord. That ought to tell us something about the origin, the author of this book that we call the Bible. In Exodus chapter 24, at verse 4, the statement is made, And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. Later in time, David had this to say in 2 Samuel chapter 23, at verse 2, The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was on my tongue. Now, there are a lot of things that we could probably say about the Old Testament. We don't have time to really go into any elaborate detail because of time constraints tonight. But if you look at the Old Testament, there is an abundance uh, of claims made for the origin of Scripture. But then secondly, why is it that we can put our faith and trust in the Bible? Well, number one, because of the claims that are made in Scripture itself. But then secondly, I would suggest because Jesus placed his stamp of approval on the inspiration of the Old Testament. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me, let me just back up for a minute. We talk about the claims made in Scripture uh, and the fact that these claims are uh, certainly underscore the fact that this book is of divine origin. And I said that the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, this phrase, thus saith the Lord, is found some 3,800 times. Let me just add to that that Jesus also placed his stamp of approval on the Old Testament scriptures. And let me just cite for you, look at Luke 24, verse 44. I don't mean to get ahead of myself here. But look at Luke 24, verse 44. In Luke 24, 44, here's what Jesus had to say. These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, 
which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. All right, so Jesus looks back over the entirety of the Old Testament and basically says that those prophecies that had been rendered about him, that had been recorded about him in the law of Moses, that would be in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, in the prophets and in the Psalms, that they were ultimately, uh, they were penned about him and ultimately they were fulfilled by him. And so I think it's, I think it's worth uh, exploring that Jesus himself certainly underscored the veracity, the validity of the Old Testament. And then by way of the New Testament. In the New Testament, we talk about the divine origin of this book. Did you know that Jesus in John 16 at verse 13 talked about how the apostles would be guided into all truth? And they had the opportunity to pen what you and I call uh, the New Testament, these sacred scriptures. Let me give you a passage or two along these lines. First of all, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Look at 1 Corinthians 14. In 1 Corinthians 14, at verse 37, Paul said, If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. Paul was writing the commands of Almighty God. And then also look at Ephesians chapter 3. In Ephesians chapter 3, drop down and note verse 3. Paul says, how that by revelation he made known to me, that is, God made, made known to him this mystery. He said, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body, partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Well, what's Paul saying here? He's simply saying that he received revelation from God. He took that revelation and wrote it down in human words so that when people read it, they could understand uh, this mystery, and mystery was that which was concealed but now revealed, and ultimately that mystery was that uh, the Gentiles would be fellow heirs of the same body, that is, they would be members of the church through the blessings of Christ and his death on Calvary's cross. But you talk about the claims that are made in the Scriptures. There are claims both in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament. But then there is a second major reason why we can believe in the Bible. That is, that it is the Word of God. It has to do with the unity of the Scriptures. Think for a moment about the unity of the Scriptures and how that underscores that this book is of divine origin. What would be the odds of some 40 different writers penning a book over a span of about 15 to 1,600 years? What would be the chances of them writing and that book being unified? There being one central theme or grand system of religion. What do you think the odds of that would be without God? Well, the answer would be, I mean, I mean, statistically, it would be almost impossible. And yet, uh, the Bible presents one central theme, one grand system of religion. And then there is a third reason why we can believe that the Bible is the Word of God. The unusual style of the Scriptures is an earmark of inspiration. 
Let me just give you a couple of illustrations along these lines. Think for a moment about how the Bible provides facts. And sometimes we talk about facts that are to be believed. Uh, we talk about uh, commands that are, be, that are to be obeyed, promises to be enjoyed. Well, throughout the narrative of Scripture, we read of some of God's greatest servants. And yet, one of the things that I think stands out in my mind is uh, the fact that there's no partiality given to certain individuals in the Scriptures that we might call spiritual giants. No glossing over the facts. A couple of illustrations. Abraham. Abraham is called the friend of God in James 2.23. And yet in the book of Genesis, on two different occasions, he lied about his relationship to Sarah. And then also we think about David. David, you recall, was a man after God's own heart. And yet in the book of 2 Samuel, in chapters 11 and 12, we read about David committing what? Adultery. He tried to uh, basically... Uh, engage in, in cover-up uh, with Uriah, the Hittite, the husband of Bathsheba. And then, uh, and then finally, when uh, that didn't prevail, he had him killed on the front line of battle. None of this was glossed over. None of this was, was done away with. And I think about, you know, when people today write a biography or an autobiography, typically they accentuate what? The virtues, the positives, the good things, they don't, they don't typically delve into uh, their mistakes and their shortcomings and failures. Uh, uh, we think about, you know, you know in, individuals that engage in, in certain acts of immorality. Well, typically we like to forget those things. Well, the Bible doesn't do that. And so we talk about the unusual style of the scriptures is an earmark of inspiration. Another, I think, characteristic, the wide influence of the Bible is an indication that it is of divine origin. You just pause and think about the influence the Bible has had down through the ages. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, at verse 16, By their fruits you shall know them. Note the abundance of fruit that has been derived by the human family as a result of the influence of the Word of God. Basil Barrett Baxter had this to say about the Bible. He said, It has been the strongest influence for good in the history of the world. Could this influence for good have come from a source which was itself a fabrication and a collection of false claims? I think the answer to that would be a resounding no. Absolutely not. All right, another reason why we can believe that the Bible is the Word of God. The scientific and medical foreknowledge of the Bible to me suggests that it is of divine origin. Let me just cite for you a couple of passages of Scripture. Look, for example, at Job in Job 26. In Job 26, the Bible says, God hangeth the earth upon nothing. Here's a question. How did Job know that? How would he have known that, that fact, that truth? Was Job, was Job a scientist? Was he an astronomer? Had he, had he been privileged to, to jet out into space? Did he have access to a space shuttle? Well, the answer to that would be no. Could he tell that the earth was suspended in orbit? 
by simply observing the sun, the moon, and the stars? Well, the earth is suspended in orbit by what? By gravity. Well, how did Job know that? Job is when you when you look back and, and read the book of and read the book itself, I think one of the things that stands out is that he lived during the days of the patriarchs. And so we're we're talking about uh, somebody who lived prior to the Mosaic dispensation. Moses began writing in about 1500 B.C. or thereabouts. And yet Job is saying that the earth hangs on nothing. Let me give you another text. Look at Isaiah chapter 40. Look at Isaiah 40 verse 22. In Isaiah chapter 40 verse 22. Isaiah said, it is he who sits above what? The circle of the earth. How did Isaiah know that the earth was circular? Isaiah, he penned this book in about 750 B.C. And so we're going back, what, about 2,700 years. And Isaiah is saying that the earth is spherical, or circular in nature. All right, here's a question. How did Isaiah know that? Even the most, even the most liberal critics of the Bible would, would suggest that the book of Isaiah was probably penned uh, very late. In other words, maybe three, four hundred years uh, later than what I believe it was penned, which is about uh, 750 B.C. or so. Well, still, how do you account for what Isaiah has penned? How do you account for the fact that Isaiah is referring to the spherical shape of the earth? Many years ago, people thought the earth was what? Flat. Did Isaiah have a space shuttle? Did he have a telescope? Had he been privileged to just jet out into space and look back at planet earth? Well, the answer again is no. He didn't, have, he didn't have that opportunity. And yet he referred to the spherical shape of the earth from a medical perspective. Look at Leviticus chapter 17. The reason I, I want to bring these things to light is this. Particularly our young people as they go away to college. And, and, and I, think about, I think about our young people in public, in public schools. They're being taught that we are the products of evolution. And there are people today in centers of, of academic learning who have bought into this nonsense. And so when somebody says, well, I believe in the Bible, or I believe that this book is the product of Almighty God, well, they look at you like you're some kind of kook or nut. Now, now, maybe that's not the case in Olive Branch, Mississippi. But I can assure you that there are areas in this country, when you start talking about faith in an almighty God, faith in the Bible, they look at you like you've lost your mind. Well, let me just say this. To those who say there's no God, to those who say that the Bible is just nothing more than lore and fiction, tell me how Isaiah knew that the earth was, was round. Tell me how Job knew that the earth hangs on nothing. 
Let scientists answer that question. Let them, let them, I mean, you know, they know so much. I mean, they, they, you know, they, they claim to know everything about how we've gotten here and, 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 you know, what we're supposed to be doing here. Well, just tell us that. The fact of the matter is they can't tell you that. They will never be able to answer those questions. And to me, it suggests that the Bible is of divine origin. But look at Leviticus 17. In Leviticus chapter 17, at verse 11, Moses said, The life of the flesh is in the blood. Henry Morris had this to say, Continuance of life is now known to depend upon, depend upon the continued supply of oxygen, water, and food to the cells of the body. This essential function is accomplished in a marvelous manner by the blood as it circulates constantly throughout the body year after year. It's my understanding that George Washington died because of a practice that uh, is referred to as bloodletting. And years ago, how did, how did they deal with, with certain types of, of physical maladies? Well, they drained the blood. Well, Moses said... The life of the flesh is what? It's in the blood. Let me ask you this question. How did Moses know that? Do you think, Mo do you think that Moses had the opportunity to go to medical school? Do you think he had an MD degree out to the side of his name? Or maybe he had gone to uh, the School of Neurobiology at the University of Tennessee. Think he, you think he had uh, studied human anatomy? Well, the answer is no. How did he know it? Well, God and inspiration. Look now at Genesis 17 at verse 12. Genesis 17. In Genesis chapter 17, we read about God instructing Abraham to engage in circumcision. Look at verse 12. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised every male child in your generations. Alright, here's a question. Why the eighth day? Why do you think God said to Moses, I want you to circumcise these male children on the eighth day? There's a reason for that. There's a medical reason. It's reflected in the fact that on the eighth day, the necessary components for blood clotting would be present in a newborn. My understanding is that vitamin K, along with what is called prothrombin, causes blood coagulation. Well, here's a question. How did Moses know that? How did Abraham know that? Moses is the one who penned this. How did Abraham, you know, why just pick the eighth day? Because that's the day when this blood would coagulate, when it, was, when it would ultimately clot uh, the best. Again, I think underscoring the fact that the Bible is of divine origin. And then finally, look at Leviticus chapter 13. Leviticus chapter 13, verses 45 and 46. In verse 45, Moses wrote, Now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn, 
and his head bare. He shall cover his mustache and cry, Unclean, unclean. He shall be unclean all the days he, is, he has the sore. He shall be unclean. He is unclean. He shall dwell alone. His dwelling place shall be outside the camp. What was Moses saying here? What was the legislation given by God? All right, if somebody had leprosy, what were they? What, what was to happen? They were to have been quarantined, to have been isolated. Why do you think God wanted them to be isolated? Germs. It would spread. Well, again, we talk about the wisdom of Almighty God and the fact that this book is of divine origin. What better way to stop the migration of leprosy than to isolate those with the disease? And again, how did Moses know about this important medical practice separate and apart from inspiration? To me, you know, the, you know to me, these are facts that, that suggest this book that we hold in our hands comes to us from Almighty God. All right, very quickly, go back now and look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. We talk about the origin of Scripture. That is, the author of Scripture, that would be God. But note, if you would, the objective of Scripture, the aim of Scripture. Why do we have the Word of God? What's the Word of God? What, what are the benefits of having access to the Word of God? I think about that quote that I read a moment ago by Batsel Barrett Baxter in which he talked about how the human family has been lifted to a higher plane because of access to the Word of God. And you look at, you, you can look at civil, civilizations, you can look at, at uh, uh, other nations, you can see the influence that the Word of God has had. You can see the nations that have not had access to the Word of God and certainly the negative effects that they have suffered because of a lack of God's teaching. But I think about the profitability, the blessings associated with having this book that we call the Bible. So look now, if you would, at verse 16 in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And let me just suggest this. This. The Word of God profits all who examine its sacred contents. If you want to be wise, if you want to be uh, prudent in how you live here upon this earth, then I would suggest that you become thoroughly acquainted with this book that we call the Bible. No wonder the psalmist said, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. All right, in verse 16, Paul said, All scripture, every scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now note, and is profitable for doctrine. Everything that you and I know about doctrine, that is the teaching of Christ, how God would have us to live, how God would have us to function, how God would have us to, to be saved, how God would have us to serve Him, it's all contained in this book that we call the Bible. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1 for just a moment. In 2 Peter chapter 1, at verse 3, Peter said that God has given unto us all things. And I would, I would underline or underscore that phrase. God has given unto us, the text reads, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. 
Everything that you and I need to know about life and godliness has been revealed unto us through this book that we call the Bible. And so uh, there is profitability in this book. But Paul said all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. Whatever we need to know about doctrine, it's revealed in this book. I think about what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in so doing, he said, you'll save both yourself and them that hear you. You can't be saved separate and apart from the doctrine of Christ. As a matter of fact, those who step away from, uh, who leave the doctrine of Christ, according to John and 2 John 9, 9 through 11, uh, they suffer uh, spiritual ruin because they lose their relationship with the Lord. All right, very quickly, we talk about the profitability of this book called the Bible. Number one, it requires the investigation of its contents. In order for us to, to be blessed by this book, in order for us to profit from this book, we've got to investigate it. Now, let me just back up here for a moment. We, we talk about the scientific foreknowledge, the medical foreknowledge of the Bible, and we talk about some of the claims for believing that this book is the Word of God. How many times have you heard or read where somebody has just waved off the Bible as if, as if it's just fiction or lore? Or, or somebody will say, well, that's just a, a bunch of nonsense. Well, have you investigated it? Have you taken the time to read and study and put this book to the test? I mean, again, you know, I bring the questions up, and, and I don't think, it, I don't think that, that I'm assuming too much when I, when I simply ask someone who says, well, I don't believe in the Bible. It's just a bunch of fiction. Well, what about when Isaiah said that uh, the earth is round or spherical? How did he know that? Well, have you investigated that? How did Job know that the earth hangs on nothing? Uh, again, have you investigated this book that we call the Bible? I think about the Bereans in Acts 17, verse 11, where the Bible says they searched the Scriptures daily to see whether those things were so. To me, before somebody just waves this book off and says, I don't believe in it, I don't care what it says, I'm not going to live by it, at least that person owes himself or herself, I think they owe themselves, to study, to investigate, examine it. And if you, if you come to the conclusion you don't believe it, it's just a bunch of, of whatever, then, then that's your decision. But at least you've made an honest investigation. So we have to investigate its contents. Number two, we have to interpret its contents. Every time we read this book, we've got to also not just read it, we've got to interpret it. We have to investigate it, but then we have to interpret it. And I think that what we need to do is ask, what, you know, what, what were the writers saying to their intended audience? And then secondly, what were they saying to me? In other words, what's the application to my life? How can I benefit from this book? We, we talk about this, uh, this hermeneutical or this uh, process whereby we interpret the Scriptures. That's what Paul did. Let me give you an example of that in Acts 17. In Acts 17, verse 2, the Bible says, Paul, as his custom was, went into them, that is, to those in Thessalonica, 
and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures. All right, that was that that was uh, the subject matter at hand. But look at verse three, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. It's good to to quote verses and to read verses, but we have to read those verses, we have to quote those verses, but we also have to interpret them to give the meaning, to tell people what they mean. And so uh, when we talk about the profitability of this book, the only way we're going to profit from this book is, number one, we have to investigate its contents. Number two, we have to interpret its contents. And number three, we have to internalize its contents. This book's not going to do us any good if we don't make application to our own lives. James said, be doers of the word and not hearers only. We've got to take this book and make it, make it a part of us. It's going to do any good. Look at Colossians 3 very quickly. Our time's gone. In Colossians 3, at verse 16, Paul said, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. One writer says what Paul is saying here is, Let the word of, let the word of God find a home in your heart. Well, the only way it's going to find a home in your heart is if you're taking it and internalizing it, making application in your own life. And so there is the need to put it into practice, as, as Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 7 when he said that those who inherit the kingdom of heaven are those who do the will of the Father. That is, they apply the teaching to their lives. And very quickly, based on 2 Timothy chapter 3, the word of God is profitable for doctrine, as we said, is profitable for reproof, that is, it is a proof, uh, that which a thing is proved or tested. And I think that uh, the only way that men and women can be convicted of what's right and what's wrong, what's truth and what's error is, is the Word of God. That's the standard. The Bible is also profitable for correction. How do I know what, what my flaws are in life separate and apart from the Word of God? When I stand in front of the mirror, I get a clear picture of me. When you and I stand in, in front of an open Bible, we get a clear picture of our spiritual life. That is, how we stack up. You know, how we measure up to the Word of God. And then finally, it's profitable for instruction. And the idea is that the Word of God schools us for life. And we go to school, I, I think about, you know, when I started elementary school and you begin to build uh, year by year, and, and there is a schooling process, an educational process. Well, that's what we need to do when it comes to the Word of God. We have to be schooled in this book. The psalmist said, through your word I get understanding. In Psalm 119, 104, therefore I hate every false way. And then finally, the advantage. We talk about the aim of Scripture and then the advantage of Scripture. The Word of God will make us whole. It will make us complete. Wherein nothing else needs to be added. And ultimately, when we take this word, make application to our own lives, it will equip us for service in the kingdom of God. All right. I've really gone too far, too late, whatever. But a lot of, lot of information to try to convey. But, you know, the point is simply this. Don't let anybody make you feel like a second-rate citizen because you believe in the Bible. Don't let anybody tell you that because you believe in the Bible that you're some uneducated, backwoods, whatever. It's not true. I believe there's more faith, or rather I think that there is greater evidence to believe in the Bible 
than not to believe in the Bible. And so my recommendation is to study it, read it, live by it, and ultimately die by it. All right, appreciate so much your presence.